Peace to you. Welcome to The Naked Truth. We are going to pick up where we left off in the Gospel of Luke. That's the third book in the New Testament, and we've made it to the third chapter. If you want to read along with me, let's begin with verse 1. Now, in the 15th year, the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Idaria, and the region of Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene. So just like the same way you can lay out city council, mayors, governors, presidents, senators, and all of that, that's basically what's being named off there, a list of different um, people in power and um, the areas that they have authority over. You can look through other resources if you want and do what sort of his history those different people have, what history we know of them if you want to. And like I said, when we started the Book of Luke, you may want to keep in mind how the timelines are uncertain, or at least they throw off the timelines. They don't match up with the timelines in the Bible, since some of the people listed in these first few chapters and in each of the different narratives of the, um, particularly surrounding the nativity, uh, don't necessarily match with the timelines of other people in history. Some of them are listed in their history as AD, I'm sorry, as BC, as and they existed before Christ or in the before the common era, if you want to go with BCE. Uh, yet in the Bible, they're mentioned as being in authority when Jesus was around, even when he was born. So um, just something to keep in mind if you do look up some of those other names. Uh, some of these other people who we're reading about here. Uh, verse 2, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. So now we've gone over to the political authority. We've gotten down to who has the religious authority. And that's Annas and Caiaphas. Those are the high priests at the, this time in the story. Verse 3, and he went into all the region around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. So John the Baptist, this is basically how his ministry um, began, how he traveled around in that area, the Jordan River, the same one that exists in modern times, uh, with preaching his message. His message is the same message Jesus starts out with when his uh, ministry begins, at least the way it's laid out in the Bible, with a message of repentance. And that that's what... Um, is what needs to be done by humanity is to and repentance involves recognizing one's behavior actions uh not just the good ones but especially the bad ones and we recognize the bad one recognize that it is bad uh if you've harmed yourself that's bad enough if you harm your neighbor even worse and if you've are harmed or offended the lord probably the worst you can get so once you repent, you recognize where you went wrong and apologize for it and uh, move forward. But without that repentance, it's uh, finding forgiveness is a, hard, a lot harder to get to, especially in um, human relations, at least maybe not so difficult with God, but for sure with humans. Sometimes even with an apology, that won't get you there. Verse 4. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So the narrator here, presumably Luke, but most likely someone in history, clearly, who's um, 
made sure to pass along the gospel according to Luke um, to the point that it made it into the Bible. So we'll just say Luke, since that's who the book is named for, but just like we read on our other daily readings, books named for Samuel, at least one of them wasn't written by Samuel since Samuel's already dead. So at that point in the narrative. So just something to keep in mind that we can't just assume that Luke is the one who wrote this. It's the gospel according to Luke, meaning the message that Luke had, presumably by word of mouth, spread and spread and spread and became popular. And then at some point in time was documented in writing, scribed in other words, and then preserved as we have it now. Um, after I'm sure some heavy editing all along the way. Um, but what the writer here is letting us know is they believe John starting his ministry this way, that um, baptism and repentance being the emphasis is the fulfillment of an Old Testament uh, scripture um, uh, that is being quoted now in verse 4 and then going to continue in verse 5 with every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill low. Crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth. So um, he believes that John the Baptist is fulfilling this in his ministry with um, making things clear, making things straight, simplifying things so that people will know that the time is at hand when this person appears. And he believes the person appearing is John the Baptist. Verse 6, all... Oops wrong thing there. Let's see. Um, verse 6, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So um, that's the um, last part of the quote, and it's coming from the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, as we call it, chapter 40, verses 3 through 5, from the area, the, the, the section known as the prophets, probably my favorite section of the Bible other than the red letters obviously um god willing we get to read and we read those those different books of the prophets it's an interesting reading although we're only into the 10th book in the old testament now and we've read some pretty scandalous stuff um some very much adults only type reading there right there in the bible um bible thumpers are a trip to be able to ignore all of those things and pretend some other reality and speak that into the existence uh, of the mainstream. It's crazy how that works. Verse 7, And he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So John the Baptist's message is a fiery one, letting the people know he sees them for how they are, just a bunch of snakes. That's the brood of vipers. And he's asking them, who gave them the heads up? Who gave them the message? that danger is at hand, that judgment day might be near them, that now's the time to look out. Verse 8, therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children of Abraham from these stones. So John the Baptist is telling the people, don't take comfort in thinking that just because you're descendants of a certain person here, namely Abraham, that's an Old Testament figure we already read about on our other daily readings. If you're interested in seeing him, in some ways he's held up as a hero, but in some ways he seems kind of like a cowardly scoundrel, and at least by modern day standards. 
So um, if you can read them yourself, it's back in the book of Genesis if you want to look back in the Naked Truth readings from those from that book or in any other books and see what it says about Abraham. It's not all um, pretty, uh, but it's the same Abraham being referred to here. And um, John the Baptist is letting them know, don't think that that's enough to get you into heaven in plain English. Don't think that just because you're a descendant of Abraham, that gets you a ticket into heaven. That gives you uh, a pass to just do whatever you want to do and um, still find salvation just by being a descendant of Abraham, taking that sheer key to the kingdom. Verse 9, and even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And he's saying that moment of truth, that judgment day for the uh, for the trees in the vineyard, for the crop they're testing has come. And he's saying in the moment is even now where the trees that aren't bearing fruit are getting chopped down. The old ways of thinking, the systems that are set up that seem so sturdy and forever are being hewn down and thrown into the fire. So burned up not to be looked to anymore. Verse 10, so the people asked him saying, what shall we do then? So the people now are wondering, well, if it's Judgment Day, if, it, if it's some big time in history happening, unfolding right in front of us right now, what is it we're supposed to do? What's our role in the big picture? What shall we do? Verse 11, he answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. So that seems like a pretty basic thing to do. To look out for your fellow man, especially if you have more than enough. You can't eat two meals. Um, so if you see somebody who doesn't have one, it just makes sense to share your abundance with someone who has nothing. It just makes sense that in a Christian society, and all these but these are not red letters. Christ's red letters have not begun in the book of Luke yet. But this is uh, John the Baptist, his cousin's uh, ministry that we're reading about here saying some pretty uh, righteous things. Uh, let there be equity, basically. And let it be for, not just for the good of your own uh, soul, but because it just makes sense. You can only eat one all-you-can-eat meal yourself. So if you have two, what sense does it make not to share it with someone who doesn't have any? Equity and balance. Verse 12, you can't wear two coats. So if you see someone's freezing and doesn't have one, then you give them one of your spare coats if you have it like that in that moment when that moment comes to you. You don't spray them with a water hose when you see they're freezing and outside. Uh, that's not the righteous thing to do. And that's according to, who, again, what John the Baptist is saying here. Jesus says similar, similarly. Um, verse um, 12, then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? So now you have governmental officials coming to John the Baptist. So first we saw the common people asking him, what, do we, what shall we do? What's our role in the big picture? Now you see governmental officials, tax collectors, specifically people who are generally despised in the sense that people usually only deal with them if they have to uh, or, um, or if they're looking for you. Other than that, most people don't generally avoid them. So um, 
sort of like the outcasts of society, like some of the other people who are going to be drawn to Jesus, who are drawn to Jesus. Verse 13. And he said to them, collect no more than what is appointed for you. So Jesus is saying what the governmental officials should do is not overburden the um, the, the society, the citizens. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. No more than what's appointed for them. So um, whatever it's set at, don't uh, don't end up what we have in America, where uh, you see year after year, budget after budget, the IRS is funded to go after the little fish and look the other way from what the big fish are doing, even though the big fish could net you a hundred times what a hundred little fish can give. And it makes no sense. And they keep deflecting with saying, oh, well, it has to be funded. It has to be funded because they're their um, taxes are so much more complicated. No, that doesn't mean you need more funding for that. That just means that instead of focusing 10 other people on 10 little fish, put those 10 people on that one person's uh, uh, forms and get it done with. Since or And you might want to consider simplifying the forms in the meantime. But at least at this point, just like you have uh, one year to do your taxes, it shouldn't take more than that to go through your taxes. And since billionaires only make up 1%, the richest 1% of uh, maybe, I guess, 10 at this point of the total population, it seems to me if you're going to wisely govern, that's what you would do. And, and then do it like you're appointed to, um, not the way it is here in America now, at least according to what John the Baptist is laying out. Um in verse 14, likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. So sounds a lot like police reform and deform the police, defund the police rolled into one. Um, so in a way of um, acknowledging that the people in those uniforms have authority, but you see what the main issue that John the Baptist is um, is telling them to be aware of is intimidating people and accusing people falsely. And then the third thing is being content with your wages because otherwise it turns into a uh, um, um, glut, uh, an overfunded, overly corrupt system that's about anything but stopping crime or justice. The same sort of mess that we have in America that looks the other way when one person is caught with nuclear secrets when one person is caught uh, not even caught shown on tv stirring up people to go riot on the capitol and that one person is still walking around free whereas if it was any one other one person that didn't look that way trust and believe it wouldn't be that way and yet year after year has gone by now and you see the consequences are slow when you look a certain way it's kind of disgusting. Um, but what John the Baptist is warning about is that whole system, that whole corruption, the false accusations, the intimidations, and the corruption through the wages. Because that's what it is. It is corrupt. Verse 15, it's a possible, it's the potential of it there. Verse 15, as the people were in expectation and all reason in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, so um, the narrator here is letting us know that the community is wondering, could John the Baptist really actually be the Christ, the Messiah, who we know is in the old scripture, and that some of the 
wise men have said, uh, shouldn't we make another appearance right about now? That scripture should be fulfilled right about now. So people were wondering. Verse 16, John answered, saying to them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So John the Baptist says the, the role he plays in the big picture of things is symbolic. He's baptizing people with phys physical elements, but water. and um, But he's saying the one that um, who he's sort of the opening act for, for Christ, the Messiah, the one they are wondering if he is Jesus, as we know him to be, believe believers to believe him to be, um, is going to do a baptism that's spiritual, that's going to take where your spirit is and take it to a brand new refreshing level. Verse 17, his winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So John the Baptist is saying that the role he's playing is um, the physical one with the baptisms in the water. But the one who's coming after him, Jesus, as we identify him, um, his role that he's playing is uh, going to be much more sweeping. And it's going to be sweeping in the sense that it's going to weed, weed out the, the crop and see what's keeps, what's for keeps and what needs to hit the fire, what's for burning, what's waste, and be able to be the one to do that separation, the wheat from the chaff. Verse 18, and with many other exhortations, he preached to the people. So the narrator here is letting us know that's what sort of message John the Baptist is preaching at his ministry at this point in it. Verse 19, but Herod the Tetrarch were being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done. So we read about Philip er earlier um, when we were going through the sort of uh, people in charge of the different regions and Philip was uh, in charge of one of the areas and his brother Herod is um, who we're talking about now who apparently is in his feelings because John the Baptist has something to say about him um, hooking up with and marrying his brother's wife which according to their uh, religious uh, statutes I guess you might call them that arose after the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob years, where that sort of stuff just went unnoticed, at least unopposed, because it happened then too. Yet it seems God didn't say anything about it when it was happening then. But um, then at some other point, the same entity that the people worship as their God did make a point to make it a point to let the people know that sort of behavior is a no-no, that it's forbidden, it's an abomination. To um, for a guy to hook up with his brother's wife, and yet that's what you see happen uh, with that family, and what Herod is in his feelings about that John the Baptist had the nerve to say something about it. Verse twenty also added this above all that he shut John up in prison. So um, the governmental power decided to shut the religious uh, authority down, but only one in one sense because. John the Baptist is operating outside of the uh, Orthodox religious authority at this point, the one that Jesus was born into, the one that John the Baptist is born into. He's not really going out pushing that as um, his message. 
um, to adhere to those different things that are laid out in what we call the Old Testament. Instead, his message is pointing to the new one, Christianity, the thing that Jesus, the message that Jesus is come to bring. So it's not like all the people who are following him are devoted to what we call the Old Testament religion. Verse 21, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was open. So in the moment where Jesus is going through his baptism, something supernatural happens in the natural, the heavens part. Verse 22, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, you are my beloved son and you I'm well pleased. So uh, a voice that everyone apparently could hear, according to the narrator here, um, said, claimed Jesus as their own. Now, that presents a problem um, of, or a, a potential conflict in where in other parts of the gospel that say that no one has heard God's voice or seen God's form. And in one of the quotes or one of the scriptures, one of the verses says at any time about the sort of interactions people have with God, but it's sort of different than some of the inter other interactions that Jesus talks about um, and mentions. And so the difference being that maybe when Jesus is referring to it, it in some of the instances, he's saying to this point, maybe that's what's missing or maybe that's what's unsaid that he didn't need to say that no one's heard God's voice at any time until they heard it just then because it doesn't need to go with to be said because they just heard it. Or this is some other still message from above, message from God, but not necessarily God's voice um, delivering the message. However you want to think of it, a voice was heard claiming Jesus verse 23 now jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age being as was supposed the son of joseph the son of heli so now we're going to go into the son of like the begats like we've read before and so i'm just going to read through them and only stop at names that stand out to me um not just for time's sake and you know because it's kind of redundant um and because we've already read them before so verse 24, I'm just going to keep reading that. Son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janna, the son of Joseph. So not the same Joseph, Jesus' uh, earthly, uh, fleshly father. Mary's wife, Joseph, not the same Joseph. Verse 25, the son of Mattathiah, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Negei. Some of those names are some the same names that names in the Old Testament. Um, as the minor prophets. Whether they're the same ones, I don't know. Uh, but the names sure seem familiar or sound familiar and are familiar as some of the names of the Old Testament prophets. If you read through them, they may line up um, to be, but I just don't know that myself. Verse 26, the son of Math, the son of Mattathiah, the son of Simi, or Shimi, the son of Joseph, the son of Judah, the son of Joannes, the son of Risa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Mary, the son of Melchi, the son of Addi, Addi, the son of Bosam, the son of Elmodan, the son of Ur, the son of Jose, the son of Eliezer, the son of Joram, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jodan, the son of Eliakim, 
So you see some of the names get repeated again and again, just like when we read them in the Old Testament. Just like families do. There are juniors, there are thirds, there it's and even female names that get repeated. Um body. Verse 31, the son of Leah, the son of Menan, the son of Mattathiah, the son of Nathan, the son of David. Um, so now we've made it to David anyway. That's the same David and Goliath, King David, whose end where we've made it up to, uh, at least in the flesh, in the Old Testament, we've made it to his last days. Um, verse 32, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nashon. So, um, we know the sort of scandal wrapped up with Boaz um, and Ruth, the foreigner, who, um, if, if you go by the Old Testament standards, she's forbidden from being in the congregation because she's an Ammonitess, if I remember right. And people from Ammon are not allowed to be in the family genealogy. And let you, yet you see here, she's listed right there to Boaz, uh, the son of Nashon, the son of Amenadab, the son of Ram son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor. So that's the same Abraham we were talking about earlier. The son of, verse 35, the son of Serug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech. So that's the same Noah, Noah's Ark, Noah, that we've made it to now. So as you can see, it's counting backward to the beginning, uh, the beginning, it, back to the garden, um, is what it, this um, introduction of this chapter is attempting to do, tracing Jesus' lineage back to the very first people. And those very first people, if you step outside of the Bible and go by science, science says those first people, no matter how they look, started out in Africa. Um, that uh, genetic Adam and Eve, I think is what they're called. If you search that yourself, you'll look and see. An excellent resource that I recommend, I'll try to remember to put a link to it. I may have already put it in one of the other readings um, that I'd highly recommend. It should be required in elementary school. Then maybe it will squash a whole lot of this ridiculous uh, racism and white supremacy. The documentary is called The Human Family Tree. I think I put a link to it on my website, hungtgirl.com. Um, but um, if not, there's a free copy available online. Just do a search for it and you'll look and see it. And it'll help break down how ridiculous it is for the sort of racism that we experience in America and around the world in so many cases, in so many ways, even on the continent, on Africa, uh, the African continent. Um, it's so ridiculous when you look back to the origins, at least the origins according to science. So the or origins according to what we're reading here, we made it back to Noah. That's Noah and the flood, Noah. Verse 37, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So um, not Cain, not Abel, but instead Seth is who um, the lineage here is being traced back to um, for, uh, let's see, is it Mary or is it Joseph? Uh, oh, Joseph. So that's Joseph's lineage uh, that we read through just now. 
um, that traces it back again, not through uh, not through um, Cain or Abel, but instead through Seth. Um, if I remember right, is it because of him the whole thing about Semitism, um, where it comes in and anti-Semitism? It's talking about people who oppose, who hate descendants of Seth. If I remember right, Seth is the descendant um, that they're. Um, anyway, that's who's being linked, who's being traced back to um, for this part, branch of Jesus' family tree. Um, that is the last verse in this chapter, though, so that's where we'll end this reading. As always, thank you for joining me for The Naked Truth. I hope it's a blessing for you, and I hope you'll join me again. And I hope the new year's being good to you. Stay safe. I love you. God bless you. Peace be with you.